Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how goes it today? Can't complain. Excellent. I do actually have a question for you, unrelated uh, to drilling fluids. I want to chat a little baseball with you. Okay. I keep seeing all this banter about moving the all-star game because of some voting or something. I really have no yeah. idea what's going on. Can you help explain what's going on with that to me? Oh my, I'll do my best without getting caught in the political muck, but Oh, Georgia, it's a political thing. <laughs> yeah. So Georgia has passed a new voting law, depending on you know, where you stand on voter ID and some of those other things. But basically it was, it was declared or there's a camp that believes that it is very regressive and going to restrict voting availability for people. And so basically a major league baseball said, well, we're going to move the all-star game as a sort of a protest. And, you know, Uh, so that's, that's the center of it where, you know, it's one of those, I guess it's just like, you can't, you can't do anything without getting a, caught up in a fight these days. It sounds like so. It. Okay. Yeah. Cause I didn't, I knew it was moving and said something about voting laws. And I was like, how does that have anything to do with baseball? But apparently, okay. So some point of like yeah. a protest type of deal. Okay. Have they decided where they're going to move it to? I can't recall. No, it was just more one of those. I find my mental health is better when I ignore the news. And so yeah. I saw the headlines like, okay, whatever. Right. Well, speaking Next of fight. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. So we had my mother-in-law over the other day and she's looking to move and she says anywhere she looks, there's always like any area she looks within Houston or Richmond, Rosenberg, wherever that she's looked, she always reads on the news that there's all this crime and, you know, just like the worst thing you could think of in every area. And I'm like, we live in a city of like 6 million plus, like every street corner probably has something wrong with it. If you dig deep enough, I mean, here in Katy, as much as it's, you know, the good old burbs, we've had some, some very sideways criminal activity, you know, throughout the last few years and and just like anywhere else. And so my wife and I said, you know, maybe you should stop reading all the news because you are literally afraid to go outside. And so, yeah. I'm with you. The only news I read is most of it comes from either the Wall Street Journal or Heart Energy is a good one or Shale Experts. So obviously just business or energy related news doesn't quite have the, I mean, although it does have headlines that kind of make you scratch your head often, it's not making me scared to go outside. So anyway, you're probably right in the sense it's for your mental health to, to stay off the news. And I just thought that was interesting. So I wanted to ask you and Hopefully let the show go on, as they say. Maybe they'll have it here in Houston. I know we're pretty open to having fun events like that. I'd accept it. I welcome them with open arms. Right? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, let's get going on the drilling fluid side of things. Matt, with all the emphasis and, you know, of course, our new administration is very pro-renewables, which is great. So, I, you know, we keep seeing, or at least I keep seeing headlines about geothermal drilling. In fact, I saw one about Texas And I know they're putting in a huge wind and solar farm, I think in like close to Beeville, they're starting a project and there's a lot of chatter about even ramping up on the geothermal side of things. And, you know, 
kind of ironic. Geothermal is very renewable. However, you still have to drill and oftentimes actually stimulate the rock to get the geothermal fluids out into the turbines, which turn and create electricity. So with that said, you do have to drill deep down into the rock, not necessarily as deep as what we sometimes go for oil and gas, but we do drill and it does require drilling fluid. So what do you think we talk about geothermal drilling fluids? I think it's a great one. It kind of, you know, it's sort of a throwback thing for me. So the first time I was a project engineer, what we call an account manager, mm-hmm. was in Indonesia watching geothermal wells. And I'd have to go do rig visits and you'd go up on this volcano. There are all these like tea plantations on the hillside and everything. And it was beautiful pastoral kind of scenery. And then you get up on this huge volcano and, you know, it was, just, it was sort of just a fascinating sort of experience for me kind of starting out in the oil field. Yeah, no kidding. And so, you know, again, it's something that's been around for a long time. It's very area specific. I know, you know, just from what I know about it, it's it's pretty capital intensive and, you know, it requires you to be, you know, close to somewhat shallow heated geology, if you will. I mean, Hawaii's got a pretty good plant. I know there's some out east. I think actually from what I read, I think the U.S. produces more electricity from geothermal than any other country in the world. So we're, we're sitting on a pretty good amount of, of heat. And it's just it seems like it's kind of getting a little more picking up steam, no pun intended. So let's let's talk about, you know, how we as a drilling fluid company, we would approach a geothermal well. And first and foremost, Matt, what, what are some of the challenges that we would face drilling or providing drilling fluids for a geothermal well? One of the things that's central to all of it is just losses, right? You're drilling through a lot of fractured rock that lost circulation is a huge, huge deal to the point where, you know, you sort of have to adapt to how long you're going to have returns for and if you're going to have returns. So sometimes even your drilling fluid is, you may not see it coming back. Like when I, when I was in Indonesia, our customer's primary like order for the mud company was I need to have hundred tons of bayrite and hundred tons of gel on location at any given time. And that was the contingency that wasn't part of the well plan. And it was basically just so you could keep the hole full. And what we would do is we would circulate a lot of, you know, you'd circulate this material and it would just carry cuttings into caverns. Like you'd get away from the bit, but you never saw it at surface. Right. So lost circulation is a huge one. There's usually a lot of efforts to treat it. A lot of times, you know, Commit your your typical LCMs, but then moving forward to you know cement plugs and those strategies work from what I've read about twenty five percent of the time sounds about right. But that centers everything else, right? So we talk about these fluids being you know the fluids we're going to use. We have to bank on the notion that we may not get them back, which means I'm caught very cost driven. So. That's kind of the first one. It sort of ties into the second one on my list, and that's wellbore collapse, which ties into the third, really, which is suck pipe. And if you think about this, a wellbore collapse can come from a couple of different means. One is you introduce cold fluid into a you know moderately fractured rock, and it changes, you know, it cools, and then starts falling in on you. The other fun part about it is if you can't keep your hydrostatic it's real easy for wellbore collapse to come. Let's say you drill into something, all of a sudden lose hydrostatic. Now you can't support the wellbore and it starts coming in on you. So very possible to get mechanically stuck through those means. And then kind of the last real obvious one is high temperature, right? If you do have returns, your fluid is going to break down. And going back to that cost-driven loss circulation thing, 
I can't use really fancy high temperature additives to keep this whole thing going. So lost circulation sort of forces your hand on everything else as far as your strategy goes. Right. So with lost circulation, I mean, would you typically use the same type of lost circulation material we would use in say in the well for drilling for oil and gas or are there certain, you know, products that they prefer over others? Or, I mean, because of the temperature, we often see high temperatures. Do we, is there a different product line or can you speak on that? Not really. So a lot of it is the, the usual suspects you'd see on, you know, tip it, your nut plug and calcium carbonate and, you know, all those goodies, cottonseed holes. One of the interesting things is with respect to the reservoir, there may be some sensitivity about that because you want organic materials that will break down, assuming, depending on how you're producing a geothermal well, but something that will break down that won't block water from being able to move through the reservoir itself. Gotcha. So there is a little bit of adjustment there, but you know the other part of it is if you're drilling into a well that's 700 degrees Fahrenheit, cottonseed holes will break down for you. You know, right? So there there is a little bit of selection on that, and then I mean the other thing I'll say is everybody, not everybody, the government is funding lots and lots of different techniques, and so. A lot of some of these treatments, you know, are being investigated. There's a lot of, you know, one use case of different foam, expandable foam and other things to try and address losses. But it's sort of the huge elephant in the room where, you know, you have these huge high permeability or large fractures and the success rate is very low for treating them. And so the whole mindset is figuring out how to deal with that. Right. So, I mean, and I'm going to imagine it's somewhat case by case, but with regards to designing a drilling fluid, I mean, what kind of properties would we program? I mean, is it very complex? Are we talking high performance water-based muds with these very like thin, you know, margin for air properties or can you speak a little bit about that? So, I mean, when we talk about losses, the first thing you have to keep in mind is they're going to be water-based, right? They're, they're typically going to have some kind of clay in them. These clays heat up you know, bentonite will actually go through diagenesis and it will no longer be bentonite and it'll flocculate. And so then you have to apply thinners. And so a lot of it is just kind of, as you get hotter and hotter, adding things that are synthetic polymers to both thin and provide some more viscosity, kind of working on the network of that, that clay present mm. fluid loss isn't absolutely critical, but it just sort of depends on the, you know, formation. It doesn't have to be tight, tight, tight. You know, a lot of these things are unweighted because of the idea that you're going to lose it all. So you're trying to keep your hydrostatic low from the get-go. But, you know, sometimes for inhibition, a little bit of KCL, a little bit of KOH, some of these areas you drill through have really crazy, nasty brines that you can take brine flows and other things that just kind of flocculate and create, wreak havoc. But keeping the PHF for corrosion is a pretty big deal, as you might imagine. And once again, it's all circling back to how, key, how cheap can I do this? And at the same time, how can I manage that I'm you know, going to lose it? So there's, there's sort of this evolution of starting out with kind of like a spud mud, and then you break the mud over, and then you thin it and treat it like a high temperature mud. And then at some point, you'll probably end up drilling blind and pumping a bunch of water. But even on total losses, you have to keep in mind your fluid strategy is, is a little different. Just because you're not having returns doesn't mean you don't want to keep introducing fluid into the wellbore because of the heat. Yep. Makes sense. 
like with product selection, when we drill in South Texas in certain areas or even offshore, if they go deep enough with water-based mud, it requires high temp products. So are there different suites of products or because like you said, a lot of times we'll just end up going on losses. So anything you pump me going down, downhole anyways, you know, and I don't think there is, but you know, just like, let's say, you know, HDD chemicals, a lot of times we'll have an HDD sort of catalog. Is there a, would you like quote unquote, like a geothermal catalog or, or a lot of the same products still, you know, able to be used for, for geothermal? It's a lot of the same products. They're just rebadged. If anybody's even directly trying to target the geothermal market. I mean, it's, I think they're, you know, you're seeing more of that because there's money going that way. But the, once again, the, the products are basic. I, th- I think this is, I don't want to undersell it too much, but like, think about running slop mud or something. It's hard work. It's cheap mud, but like, you have to know what you're doing. Of course. And so I think there is definitely sort of a parallel from the perspective of understanding where you fit in the operation, how all these things are working, how it's working with tools. Because like I said, your fluid strategy, you're using these chemicals, you're trying to keep the mud from getting too thick. You may not see it coming back, but you still, it is true, you actually cool the wellbore with this fluid, right? So you're not seeing, if you have a 700 degree production section, that fluid probably, once you circulate past, is going to reduce the temperature. And we know that from tool measurements and that sort of thing. So let's say I'm not at even bottom hole temperature, but let's say I'm getting up to 450, 500, where you'd say this product would never survive. Well, it's not actually reaching that temperature and it doesn't do it very quickly under static conditions. And so you can actually cool the near wellbore. And then of course, you always want to keep fluid going down to cool the tools because most of them are not rated to the temperatures they're being drilled at. You're on the clock as to whether they're going to, you know, succeed or fail. Right. Have you heard of them applying a mud cooler on surface? Is that anything that would apply? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a big part of it. It's just keeping that temperature down and, and, Think about your flow line temperatures on this stuff, right? If, if I actually am getting returns when a well is at, let's say, 600 degrees Fahrenheit, it's probably not safe to stand by the flow line and, you know, you could really hurt somebody. So, right. No, there's definitely HSC risk involved. Yeah. So even well control is a little bit different, but so mud coolers are must have standard. Another good thing about unweighted muds is they're easier to cool than, you know, their specific heat capacities different. And so versus a weighted mud, so you can cool it much faster, but it's one of those where it's, you want mud coolers and then you want contingency mud coolers. And while I've exhibited skepticism in the past about the reliability of mud coolers, I've been told that you were just dealing with the wrong people. Not that it was my shot to call, but keeping cool fluid in the wellbore, even if you're not getting returns, sometimes I'll pump it in down the string and down the annulus, you know, whatever it takes. So there's, there's just a lot about this where you're adapting to conditions every well, and you don't know exactly what you're going to see until you get there. It's one of those where it's like the mud isn't the hardest part. The hardest part is managing the mud, not the mud. Right. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And again, it's something that I think is going to become more of a demand and I know there's several oil field service companies looking to geothermal drilling as another opportunity to diversify their business. So, which, you know, kind of reminds me, Matt, a good friend of mine works at geothermal company. And so for anyone out there that's interested, um, hopefully we can get someone on here that can talk a little bit more about geothermal drilling because it's something that I've, you know, had folks in my network ask me about. And so that'd be cool to have someone else that can 
deliver some good information and, and a little bit of expertise in that area. And if anyone else has experience in geothermal drilling or any stories, again, it would be super interesting to hear about them. Matt, I don't have any other questions regarding that. It's It just seems like it's hot. You can lose a lot of mud, but it really, there's no need to overcomplicate it, uh, which I think we're good at it doing as an industry oftentimes. And so kind of this, you know, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, silly. <laughs> so, but Matt, you got anything else to say regarding geothermal drilling? It's one of those, you're hearing a lot more about it. I think there's a lot more, you're seeing a lot of new techniques as far as how to produce the wells or even looking at using fracturing technology. So let's say I drill shallower into a less hot section and then fracture into the hot part. And I introduce water that way. You know, Iceland has done several, they call it Iceland deep drill project, you know, but a lot of it is what's interesting is when you read the headlines, like, oh my gosh, they made a fluid that holds up to this temperature. And then you read about it. It's like, well, by the time they actually got to that depth, it was water and they never, it didn't ever turns. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't really matter what. You and that's, that's very common. So you'll see a lot of these wells, they'll actually drill the, you know, surface intermediate and then they drill the reservoir and it ends up being blind or foam or something, something like that. And they don't even cement it. They hang a liner, you know, a slotted liner or something like that. And so you're really you're getting a lot of the less, it's still hot, but the really scary stuff, I don't know if we have an answer for, I don't even know if we ever will have an answer other than the strategies that are already in use. And so I think what's interesting is this is sort of like a good engineer on the rig, knowing, you know, when to have product on location, how to handle pits during a displacement. It's just, it's outside most of our wheelhouses because, you know, there's, geothermal isn't drilled in that you got to be either on the ring of fire. So you're in the California, you know, California, the Philippines, Indonesia, those kinds of places, or, you know, you're, you're not doing what the, the typical methods are and it's lower temperatures and quite manageable. So I don't know, as we see more of it, I'll be interested in learning if, if some of our mud engineers or some other folks either make that transition or, or service it alongside their typical oil field, you know, applications. But I will always be asking myself the question, you know, will there be technology on the mud side or is it just the losses are so high and are such a consistent problem that any new technology is going to be inherently limited by the willingness of somebody to pay for something that's not likely to come back. So I don't know. There's a lot to kick around there. No, there is. And and again, I think it's something that we're going to see more and more of. And so hopefully we get to be a part of something like that. And I know you've been talking to, you know, some folks in that world, you know, and so, yeah, who knows, we may be, we may be able to hop into an area where we've never thought we would. And so it's exciting to see. I know there's a lot of oil field services, like I said, jumping on to, you know, trying to offer up our expertise and technology into that world. And so I'm anxious to see how that all unfolds over the next few years. And with that said, Matt, Anything else for the listeners? Any words of wisdom that you have? I know you've got plenty of it. No, I think I'm fresh out on the geothermal side, but if if there are people who are interested, you know, who are looking at this and certainly it's sort of funny, but you know, I did it a while ago, but we have some experience with it. And, you know, we're we're always open to the conversation if, if somebody's looking for some help. Awesome. Well, if anyone has any stories, like I said, hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at AESfluids.com. Or you can hit Matt or I up on LinkedIn. We're always willing to engage with the audience. And with that said, everyone, please be safe. Have a good one. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care. 
Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.